All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel podcast. I have a uh, good friend of mine, Andy Reinhardt, on the show with us today. Andy, how are you, sir? Good, Travis. How about yourself? Uh, can't complain. Can't complain. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself in case they haven't met you and they live in a closet somewhere and they haven't been to a Precision Rifle match in the past four years. Sure, man. Um, well, I kind of got my start about six years ago, uh, shooting precision rifle. I kind of thought like who would want a bolt action antique rifle, uh, at the time. And I got uh, dragged out to a competition dynamics match by a buddy of mine, Joe Metzger, who made a lot of you probably know. And, uh, he needed somebody to shoot the AR for him. And, uh, we went out and did pretty good at that match. Went back the next year, did even better. And I kind of got the bug and started, uh, started building a couple rifles and, kind of all been downhill after that so i shoot pretty much all the different disciplines of competition dynamics the nrl the prs and uh, uh, just can't get enough man that's awesome so you started off with competition dynamics and for our listeners that aren't familiar with the cd match can you explain to them what the difference is between a cd match and a nrl slash prs type match Sure. So the the there's a couple different types of the of uh, competition dynamics matches. The the ones we started on were the team matches. Um, they also have uh, at least one individual match every year. Um, the team challenge is the one that that uh, uh, Joe Metzger and I started off shooting. And there are two shooters. One shoots a carbine, which is what I was doing, and the other one shoots a bolt gun. And you basically are going into everything blind. Um, you, it's completely a field style match. So it's a hike to your position. They start you about a mile and a half to two miles away from your position. You hike out to your position and the person who shot the position in front of you stays there and is your RO. So you come up, you have no idea where the targets are. You know there are six targets out in the field somewhere. Um, they bring you up, they tell you this is your shooting position, which is usually a, a uh, dot marked with spray paint on a rock. And here's your right limit, here's your left limit, and go. And then your job is to find all the targets, range all the targets. And then in the team matches, the carbine shooter would shoot half of the targets, which is typically there are six targets. So I would shoot three of those targets. You have unlimited rounds to shoot with the carbine. And then as soon as you've finished your job there, then the bolt gunner will lay down in the same position and they will uh, shoot one round each at each of six targets. Um, so they, they shoot at it, hit or miss, they have to move to the next target. Uh, so it's kind of, uh, it's a blast. I, I love those style matches because it's a real test of not only do I have to find and range the targets, then I have to shoot them. There's no script. I don't get to sit there and play it through in my head what I'm going to do on that next stage. Um, it's just kind of find them and go. Um, so we really have, have enjoyed those and kind of made our mark in those matches. Uh, we went Our first match we went and shot was a complete, utter disaster. I mean, we went <laughs> out there and had no idea what was going on. Uh, in fact, uh, I remember uh, Jimmy Holdsworth is one of the, the uh, match directors and he was out there with us, RO, and us on our first stage that we'd ever shot. And I'm shooting, and I had the wrong gun, the wrong ammo, the wrong scope, just was not ready for it. And I go out there, and I'm shooting and shooting and shooting. Finally, he's like, 
hey, you know, you don't have to hit them all. You can let your bolt gun guy shoot. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't realize that. So <laughs> I kind of rolled over and got out of his way and, and let him at it. So, um, for the, if, you know, if the people are looking to, to shoot those style of field matches, it's, they're, they're great courses of fire, and, and uh, you really just have to go out and try them. And you're going to be a complete mess the first year, but then you'll kind of get a hang of it and start coming back year after year and, and figuring out what's going on and, and really uh, really start to excel at them after that. Yeah, the CD matches, when we started filming them a few years ago, they quickly became one of my favorite style of matches to film, watch, and, and just see how everybody tackles it because there really is no one way to do it right. I mean, you see one team go up and they execute it the way they think is the best, and then you see a different team come up and they do something completely different. And I've seen some off the wall crazy stuff. Um, and it's just, a, it's a ton of fun to watch. It's a true testament to athleticism as well. Cause you're hiking, what, five or six okay. miles a day or something like that? Yeah, usually anywhere from three to six is, is typically depending on what match you're shooting. Um, the, the team challenge is uh, the, the actual course that you're shooting is between a mile and a mile and a half long, but then you have a, you know, a mile or so walk in, a mile or so walk out. Um, uh, we just got done shooting the Steel Safari a couple weekends ago, and yeah, you're right, there are so many ways you can attack that course. Um, basically, they, they leave everything open to your determination. The only thing that they require you to do is when you're shooting, you have to be able to touch the physical spot that they have designated as their shoot point Right. And then all the targets you're shooting at are in between the two limits. So if you want to use a tripod, if you want to use uh, the only limitation is you have to carry the gear you use through the entire match. If you want to bring a shooting table out there with you and tote it around the whole match, you're welcome to do that. <laughs> but then you have to carry it with you the entire match. So, And we've um, seen some guys kind of do that with some of their crazy tripod deals that basically look like a shooting bench. Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, there, and, and that can be both a help and a hindrance. Um, really the problem solving of the position and how you're going to shoot them is, is what, what makes those matches really unique. Um, you know, a, a tripod really is kind of a, an essential tool, I think for that style of match, because you're yes. not only are you trying to find and, and you also have to range your targets. So if you're trying to range your targets offhand and you're real shaky, uh, shaky and you can't get a good a good hold on that target, they, they set some of these targets in ways that they may be on a hill. So if you're trying to range the physical target, you may be hitting the berm 150 yards beyond that um, and you're not actually going to be hitting the unit. So having a tripod to be able to get really steady on. And then there are some positions where you absolutely have to be raised up higher than you can get on a, on a bipod, even a tall bipod, uh, to be able to shoot your position. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to be able to, on the fly, solve a problem and be able to, to hit targets from 110 yards out to 700 and 800 yards. No, absolutely. So... From your inception with the competition dynamics matches, when did you start shooting PRS NRL style matches? Uh, I think it was about two years after our first CD match. I shot, uh, uh, we went and got 18th place our first year. And I thought, 
you know, that was a lot of fun. We'll try that again. Went and shot fourth place the next year. And after that, I kind of got in the bug. And uh, so I decided to uh, have a bolt gun built. And I, I sourced all the parts together and had uh, Fritz uh, Alquist, who's now over at Mile High Shooting Accessories. Uh, I had uh, He was at TJ's Guns at the time. I had him build me a gun. He was kind of the, the hot ticket for all our local guys to have uh, build his guns. He builds an awesome rifle. Um, and then I went out, and I think one of my first major matches, I started shooting some local competitions um, out at our local club, CRC, uh, which was about the only place you could go at the time around here to, to shoot a local match. Uh, started going down to Raton to shoot the sporting rifle match uh, the first Sunday of, of every month. And then I think I kind of got my first uh, major up at the Sniper's Hide Cup when they had it up here in Weldona in Colorado. Okay. Very cool. And thoughts going from a CD match to um, Sniper's Hide is kind of a similar style match to field match. To some degree, you know, they um, they kind of had it set up more like a typical PRS um, uh, NRL type match. Um, where it was, you know, we got a we got a book the night before that showed us, you know, what all our targets were going to be, what our what our uh, our ranges were going to be, um, and then you know you you have a you have a chance to watch other guys shoot it in your squad, see how they're going to do it. Um, to me, that was it was a lot of fun, but it almost it, I had to get beyond that because of the style of matches I was used to shooting. It almost made me think too much. You know, I'd get up there, I'm like, I'd have, I got a real good plan, and then all of a sudden you see somebody else doing, you're like, oh man, that worked really good for him. Maybe I should try that out. Um, and that can be just as much of a hindrance as going up and shooting it blind and just doing it the way that you would normally shoot a stage. Right. You start to second guess yourself. Absolutely. And 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 ever since then, I've I've had to really kind of kind of watch myself at those style of matches is you know where you can watch other people do it and how they work it's like well you know what you don't realize is they probably practice that type of shooting where you may be practicing a different type of shooting you know i may i may be really good off of a tripod but not so good off a barricade or vice versa or, um so you you've got to really watch and, and pick and choose which style you use don't just necessarily be be drawn in by who are, you know, hey, well, hey, that guy did really good with, you know, using that prop or using that bag or that bipod. And, well, if I don't normally use that, it's not going to do me any benefit when I get up to that stage. Right. No, I agree 100%. I've uh, started shooting national level matches this year and tons of guys want to help out, which I'm super appreciative for. But they're offering me different bags and different devices I've never practiced or used with. And so it, it kind of throws me up my game every once in a while when I say, yeah, I want to try that. And I get up there and I'm like, oh, maybe I should have just stuck to what I know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's, there, there are so many, you know, that we've been having the debate a lot in the last couple of years about, you know, oh, we need to restrict gear and it's become a gear race and this and that and everything else. And it's, you know, what most people don't realize is the gear can be as much a hindrance as it is a help in many aspects. Um, it's it, if you if you own the gear and you use the gear and you really train with that gear, then it can be an asset. But if you're going into something with something you you're not familiar with, you're not practiced with, it doesn't matter how many bags you stick underneath your gun. If you can't shoot the gun, it's not going to do you any good. 
I agree 100%. And speaking of a gear race, where do you stand on it? Well, I'm kind of of the opinion that if you want to carry it and you want to use it, then you ought to be able to shoot it. Um, I've gone back and forth with a lot of guys, and I know we're split about 50-50 down the middle on that. Um, I'm I'm kind of the opinion that, you know, they're – a lot of these stages are problem-solving stages. Um, if uh, you know, there are certain there are certain tools that are required to be in any sport. Um, you know, you wouldn't go play football without having uh, a helmet or knee pads or elbow pads or cleats. Well, th- this is kind of the same way. I mean, there's only so many things you can have. You know, you need to have a good rifle and a good scope. You need to have good data for your gun, ammunition, good ammunition, the shooting solidly. Uh, a tripod and a couple of bags is really, you know, um, all, all you need to do this. I know some people say, oh, all you need is one bag or this or that. Well, some people like one bag. And, I, and what, what I found is the more I'm into this and the more I practice and the better I get, the less equipment I tend to use. Um, so I tend to feel that your limitations typically affect the new shooter worse than they do the veteran experienced shooter. And I think right. a lot of people see that in reverse is they think, well, you know, having all that gear is why these, these top veteran shooters are shooting so well. And it's, I, I don't think that's true at all. I think those guys are going to be the top no matter what, because they go out and they, they put in the hours, they put in the time, they put in the round count uh, to, to be at that level doesn't matter what gear they use you put two shooters on the same course to fire and say okay you can only use these that top shooter is going to still be the top shooter no matter what gear he has which is a very good point but it also it, it, it kind of what's, what's the word, right way to say this you know when, when you limit the gear on someone it also kind of prohibits them from finding out what they actually like but it's also very argumentative that you shouldn't be practicing or learning gear at a national level match. That's what your club matches are for, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and I I think that's absolutely true. What you're saying is, you know, it, it, everybody has a different style of shooting, right? This is, this is an individual sport. So we're not, we're not playing as a team. We're not playing anywhere else. So I may practice in one way. You may practice in another way. You know, we all have different ways of attacking certain things, like, uh, say, even a, like a PRS barricade. Well, they're, you know, with, you know, 5,000 shooters, everybody's going to attack that a different way. It doesn't mean right. my way is right or your way is right. Um, but why should I be penalized or you be penalized because I practice in a different way than you? And then I get to a match and I have somebody say, oh, you can't use that here. Well, that's fine, but how come, you know, well, so the guy that practices the way that you happen to practice has the advantage over somebody who uses a different piece of equipment to do the same thing in a different way. Right. Um, so I, I'm more I'm more of a, hey, if you brought it, use it, and I think let you hang yourself with the gear you brought. <laughs> Which is very possible. Absolutely. And you see it all the time. You'll get guys up there with two or three bags and a tripod, and they're trying to use this on this this position and that on that position, and, and it really becomes more of a time detriment and, a, and a, 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 a time waste than it does actually 
getting them more points. It's they go up there and well, they got two solid hits, but they only got to shoot four rounds. Because um, it took them five minutes stage. to get situated. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You take five, five, six minutes to get situated, and all of a sudden, times out. You haven't fired any rounds. Well, that didn't do you any good, did it? You would have been better off taking one bag up there and at least giving a, the old college try to at least eight of those targets instead of getting hits on two. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. So speaking of gear, what gear do you run? Let's start with the, the rifle bags. I mean, your list. Sure. Um, well, this year I'm running a uh, Bighorn action, which is, I've been really, really happy with. I came off a Mousing Field action last couple of years that I was super happy with as well. I've had no complaints with either one of them. Uh, but I've been really happy with the Bighorn action. Uh, I'm running a Bartline barrel. Um, still running a 65 by 47 so I uh, haven't come off that. I'm tinkering around with a couple 6mm uh, rounds, uh, both a 6x47 and a 6BRA. Uh, as soon as I uh, get those broken in, I may break those out at a match this year yet. But I've been really happy with the 6.5x47. It's worked really well for me. It's super consistent, easy to load develop, so I've just stuck with that. Um, I'm a suppressor guy. I like running a suppressor no matter what. Um, this year I went from a Thunder Beast uh, Ultra 7 to a Silencer Tech, uh, one of their 5-inch versions, and I've been really happy with that as well. Um, it's, it's really cut my recoil down, but I still get the benefit of having a suppressor. So it's, it's the closest thing I found to running a brake, but still being able to have a suppressor. Nice. Um, I went over to a, a Schmidt and Bender scope this year, running a, a PM2 and a 5 to 25, and uh, also upgraded to the Trimmer 3 reticle, which has been amazing. I, I love that setup. Uh, that Trimmer 3, we're, we're starting to see, you know, with, with under such huge time constraints, uh, we're starting to see uh, the holdover reticles, you know, make a real uh, real impression on how quickly you can run a stage. Right. Um, so having one of those, I think, is a huge benefit. And I love the Trimmer 3 because then I, I can just hold everything. I don't have to look at my wind calls. I just know, hey, I think it's a 5-mile-an-hour. I think it's an 8-mile-an-hour. I've got it right there in my reticle I can go ahead and just hold what value I think it is and then make any adjustments from there and keep running it out to whatever distance I need to go um, I'm currently shooting a Atlas bipod with a really right stuff uh, throw lever conversion on it for the um, MPA chassis I run an MPA half for the last several years and uh, uh, so I run their Swiss arc adapter on the Atlas and then uh, currently I'm waiting for my new SkyPod from Sky Thomas to come in. Uh, I used one in a match a couple weeks ago, and they are phenomenal. So I'm I've heard nothing but great things. That. Man, I can't believe you know I, I I held out for a while because the cost on the things it's they're a little pricey, but uh, you know they're I think 450 to 490 depending on what you're getting on them. But you know what? Uh, after using it in the last couple matches, I am a believer. I borrowed a buddy of mine's until uh, mine came in, and they just were phenomenal. So that's what I'm going to be switching over to as a, as a permanent bipod, keep the Atlas as a backup. Uh, like I said, I'm running an MPA chassis. Um, I just like the versatility of them. I've, I've, I've tried to run a stock on and off. Uh, I started with a AI chassis when I originally started this. 
um, and went over to the MPA right away because of some of their innovations that they have. Really love the product, and they've they've done nothing but keep delivering on on new product and and really innovative stuff. So, been very very happy with that. Let's see what else do I use? Um, bags. I run a lot of different bags, um, just depending on what type of match I'm shooting, what uh, uh, what style, what stage, things like that. I typically carry a lot of bags, but I only use typically one bag on a stage. But each stage, sometimes you need something different on, so I like to carry quite a few. Um, one of my go-tos has been um, both the uh, OG Game Changer. I've been using that a lot, not only for front support, but as, for, as a rear bag as well. Okay. And then I've got uh, I've got a lot of uh, time this year with the, one of the tactical udders from Bison Tactical too. That's been a, a real go-to bag for me in a lot of a lot of really strange and awkward positions like tank traps and uh, weird rock setups and things like that. They they just work phenomenal on. Very cool. Yeah, we actually um, at Cole's match in Utah, the Dog Valley. There was a stage where we had to shoot off the tactical udder. And that was the first time I shot off it. And I must say, it is very stable, especially on the... It was a big wire spool type uh, prop that they were using. And you had to shoot off the edges of it. So, I mean, it was oh, very yeah. stable. It worked well. Yeah, you know, and it, it's... For those awkward shaped items and the, those awkward, weird position things, they, they work phenomenal because of that heavy fill in them. And just how they're able to shape around that so well, you've got a nice solid platform to be able to shoot off the top of. Um, so yeah, I've been very very happy with that. Besides that, I have a couple of wee bad bags, and then um, I have several of the Truist bags um, uh, from a, a gentleman up here in Colorado Springs makes those TRA UST um, sells really great bags. His name is Stu. He comes down, he's a big sponsor of a lot of the CD matches, and uh, that's kind of where we originally met. Uh, he, he always shot Steel Safari with us, and we shoot a lot of the team matches. He's big into the uh, Sniper Adventure Challenge. I think they've either been in that or won it the last couple of years. So he, he's definitely a shooter, and, and uh, his bags really, really show that, that uh, innovation as a shooter in right. them. So I've been very happy with those. Trying to think of any other gear I use. You still running the scope? Uh, oh, sorry, you still running the attack pack? Yeah, I'm still running attack pack. Really love that setup. Um, Great just bags. Can't get away from it, man. Uh, I uh, if for those who aren't familiar with the attack packs, uh, again, it's another local guy here out of Colorado, um, right up in Inglewood, um, named Alex. And he has been, I've been running one of those since they originally came out. Uh, I kind of ran across Alex at a gun show uh, back when we were working those six, seven years ago. And uh, loved the idea right off the bat. The basic idea of it is it's, it's a, a pack setup with a, a pretty unique frame in it. Um, and, but the belt is actually separate from the frame. So I can run my, my standard PRS gun belt. Um, which has a, a inner belt that has Velcro on it. So I, you know, you Velcro up your pants, throw the inner belt on it or the outer belt on. Uh, so that way it's not slipping up around your chest or down around your, your uh, ankles while you're trying to shoot. 
and I can have all my gear on it. And then the backpack has a integral frame that I can, that fits into a pocket in the back of the belt. So right. once I put the pack on, you slip the frame into the belt, and that way it transfers all that weight into my hips versus being directly located on my shoulders. And I, I came across that right away because I've got two broken shoulders. Uh, I broke one as a teenager in a motorcycle accident, and I broke the other one as a early 20s on a skateboard just doing stupid stuff. And uh, so if I have a, a real heavy weight on my shoulders all day long, they just really start hurting. They fall asleep. Um, so that setup to me was just phenomenal, and it's it's been bulletproof. I've had that pack for about eight years now, and it still functions in the same way it did when I first got it. Nice. Spotting scope, binoculars, what do you recommend? Um, for, a, for binos, I, I run all the Steiner range-finding laser binos. Um, the uh, 1050s and the 830s. Uh, the 1050s are a 10 by 50. The 830s are an 8 by 30. Um, I like having the the range finding capabilities in them, so that way I don't necessarily have to trust the the uh, the numbers in the book. I can actually go out there on the day of when I'm finding my targets uh, on the stage. I can actually range uh, my targets, make sure that they're they are what they say they are. Uh, most of the time, match directors do a phenomenal job at uh, giving really solid ranges, but every once in a while you'll find one. You're like, man, that's just not coming up what they said in the book. And sure enough, we'll check it with a couple different units, and it'll be, you know, I've seen anywhere from five yards to 50 yards off uh, from what the book has actually said. So uh, having those, I think, is a huge benefit. And with a lot of the matches I do for uh, competition dynamics and some others, they don't give you your ranges so it's it's paramount to have a pair of laser range finding binoculars that when i find a target uh i can actually range it right while i have it in my view um and there's a lot of guys trying to use a pair of binoculars and then a range finder and when you find it with your binoculars and then you have to take your binoculars down put your range finder up and try and refind it with your range finder Number one, it's a time killer, and a lot of times you just can't find it afterwards. Right. So I've been very happy with them. Um, spotting scope, I'm using a, uh, I got a, an old loophole that I wanted to match several years ago. It's one of their, I can't even remember what model it is, their little shorty compact unit. <laughs> I use it very rarely on occasion, like when I'm out uh, doing dope verification, things like that, but 99% of the time I'm just using my binos. Very nice. All right, so let's transition topics here. You are definitely one of the most um, vocal people in, in precision rifle. You have an opinion, you have an opinion, and you share it, and you're not afraid, and that's awesome. That's badass. And I, I wish more people Sometimes were like that. Sometimes but that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes. But you know what? If you're going to have an opinion, you have to put yourself out there, and you have the guts, you have the balls to do it, which is commendable. You know, a lot of guys will hide behind the keyboard and type bullshit or, you know, they won't say anything until they're in their private group of friends, which is fine. But you actually have the the courage to go out there and say it. So recently, you know, there's been um, the season has actually been pretty much drama free. There's a little bit of drama with some cheating in, in a match a couple of weeks ago. Um, sure. 
you know, and I'm not going to get into necessarily naming names. I don't know the gentleman or, or, or whatnot, but on the topic of cheating and, and things of that nature, I mean, we're a very small, uh, close group community. I mean, CD, PRS, NRL, we're all kind of intertwined in one way or another. Um, and nobody, I mean, I don't think, it, I'm, I think last year there's a couple of people that got called out and cheating and things of that nature. Um, but for the most part, this sport is a very honorable sport. So why, I mean, I don't know why anybody would cheat, but why would somebody, I, mean, I wasn't there, I believe you were at the match, but why would somebody go through this and, and risk being ousted from a sport? Man, I don't know. I've been trying to think of that, the, you know, ever since that happened. Um, well, for those that aren't aware, so we had uh, a couple weeks ago at the competition dynamics match, um, we had we caught a guy cheating. Um, we were all kind of uh, nobody really knew what was going on until kind of the last day. Um, to, and for those that don't understand how the the competition dynamics matches work, basically. Your yourself, your RO in front of you is the one who's keeping your score. So you have your scorecard, you give it to your RO, he watches you shoot, he marks down your score, he gives your card back, and then at the end of the day, he signs off on it, and then you take and put it back into the box. Well, we found out there was a guy out there who was actually changing his scores, had tried to get his RO to use a wet erase marker um, so that he, it would be very easy to do, um, and the RO didn't bite on that and used his own pen. And then afterwards, the guy went back and added points to it, uh, to his total. And, I mean, a lot of us were looking at his scores like, man, where'd this guy come from? Like, I've you know never seen him even in the top 10 before, and all of a sudden he could come out winning the match. Um, had a lot of guys, you know, had Tate Streeter biting his fingernails down to nothing, man. Uh, this, was, this was his third year he was looking to win that match and so right. he's like oh my god you know i'm gonna go to some guy i've never even heard of before um but man I, I i really don't know what what pushes people to do that um like you said we are a very small community and and i mean pretty much everybody knows everybody it's not it's not like you can hide in the shadows somewhere if you get caught doing something like that so uh, I, I've been trying to figure that out myself, and I really just can't have no answer for why somebody would do that. Um, well, do you agree I, with I, the way that the match directors handled it? Yeah, actually, I do. You know, um, when I first heard, you know, you know, the way they were going to do it, I was like, so what they decided to do was instead of instead of an auto, uh, issue an automatic disqualification. They, they told the, the uh, individual uh, that they would allow him to keep his actual score, which they were able to determine. It wasn't that hard to go back and look at his cards and figure out what his actual score was, especially after talking to his, uh, his RO. Um, and so they just determined that he could keep that score if he would come out and he would apologize to every single person individually and he would make a public apology at the shooters meeting right before they did the, the award ceremony, which to some degree he did. He came around and told us a bunch of BS about somebody had offered him money to place and 
that he just felt so bad about it that uh, uh, that he had to come out and and tell Zach and Jimmy about what had happened, which turned to be turned out to be BS. They actually caught him and he denied it. Um, and so you know, a lot of people would say, "Well, you know, why didn't they just DQ him? Why didn't they just DQ him?" Well, the big reason was, well, if they just DQ'd him, then he would have had some out he could have said well no i didn't actually do that or you know uh they were just unfair to me this didn't really happen blah blah blah, blah. well by doing what they did okay they let him keep his score which was very low to begin with it was in the you know mid 30s to uh, low 40s i believe was where he would have placed at with his real scores um it it allowed him to to it to make him come out and admit what he had done. So there was no question in anybody's mind that yes, he cheated. This is why he did it. This is how he did it. And it, it left him nothing to hide behind, um, which uh, I'm looking back. I'm really glad they did it that way. And, and I got to give real big props to Zach and Jimmy for, for handling it that way because it could have gone the other way and there could have been, you know, uh, a lot of controversy about it over oh well you know Zach's just an just an asshole and he doesn't like people and you know he 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 did this he he's ostracizing this guy no that's not the case he got caught he admitted it he's out um, that's all there is to it and there have been some pretty big repercussions on that guy ever since uh, I know for a fact he's been booted about out of about every Facebook uh, precision group he's. Uh, his home club has come out and, and basically said, you're out. Uh, we don't want anything to do with you. Right. Um, and as it should be, uh, like you said, we're this is some of the best people I have ever met in not only the, you know, in, in all of the shooting sports, really. Uh, I've shot a lot of different disciplines, USPSA and 3Gun and, and all really great people. But to the core, I think, Precision Rifle has some of the best, nicest people who are just willing to give you their shirt off their back to help you out, and you just, we don't need this in this sport. Uh, I agree. I thought when I heard about the way that Jimmy and Zach handled it, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, they basically gave the opportunity to the guy to hang himself, which he deserved, and now there's there's Absolutely. no question. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, once after the fact, when we actually found out what actually happened and how it went down, it was even worse when, when he came out because not only did he cheat, then he lied to us all about why he cheated. Um, and, that, and then lied to us all about him turning himself in. It was like, come on, man, like, cheating is bad enough, but then you're going to lie to us all about it? Uh, so I, the, the word is spread around the community. If you haven't heard who it is by now, you know, like I said, I, I don't need to spread any more on here. You're welcome to jump on my Facebook page. I've got it listed all over there who it was. <laughs> it's on the Competition Dynamics page. So, uh, you know, feel free to, to do a little research on it. But uh, um, I, I, I'm glad to see that gone. And uh, I hope that we don't have to see any more of that. That's, you know, there was another guy last year that got popped doing the same thing in a similar style matchup north. And right. uh, he's kind of feeling the repercussions of that too, man. It's uh, we're gonna police our own. We we spend too much time, too much effort, too much money on the sport that we love, um, and we really bust our ass out there to be at the level we're at. We don't want to see people tarnishing that uh, for something stupid like adding a couple points on. Who cares? 
Right. I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. When I look at it from a business standpoint, um, a ton of these guys, yourself included, are, are sponsored shooters. And, you know, the, the sponsors rely on you to help get their product out there, product knowledge, let people try things out, so on and so forth. And if you, a sponsor happens to get a guy who makes a bad decision and and cheats or does whatever he lies, does whatever he does, not only does it hurt that individual, not only does it hurt the sport, but it hurts the sponsors that are trying to help build the sport as well because it puts a bad taste in their mouth. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's you know, it's like well, well, you guys didn't do any better job than you know picking this guy. You know, it's uh, and really, like I said, you know, in all the years I've been doing this, I mean, I don't even lock my truck up when I go out and I got thousands of dollars worth of guns sitting out at the range in my truck and gear and equipment and everything else. Not usually my keys are sitting in my truck. My wallet's usually sitting in my truck. I trust these guys. Right. Um, and when you run across somebody that that has the little amount of integrity that it has to, to, to cheat and add a couple of points onto your score. Like I said, for what, man? Uh, it, well, if you don't have the time to put in the work to place in the position you want to place, then you need to find yourself another sport because th- this is not it. Um, Agreed. We're 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 an individual. We're an individual sport. We're based on integrity. We're based on uh, professionalism. And if that's not where your head's at, then you know, go play basketball or something. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So, moving on. This year, what is on your schedule? Because I know earlier this year, you actually broke your shooting wrist. Is that correct? Well, it was my non... It was actually uh, my left elbow. So, my shooting hand has been fine, but to be able to get down into position and back up has been a bit much. Um, Okay. So... I've been taking it kind of light uh, this year. Um, the I'm trying to get back to some more late season matches. It was like the end of April. I uh, I fell off a ladder at work. I do garage doors for a living, and uh, I stepped back off a ladder onto a, a tool that was on the ground and fell backwards and broke my elbow. So that kind of put a damper on my season. Uh, I was scheduled to go down and shoot uh, Jake Vibbert's match at. Uh, in uh, Telluride, Telluride okay. and just wasn't does just wasn't looking like I was going to be able to make that down there. And Jake was able to work with me and, and find somebody to take my spot. And uh, two days before, well, I guess it was three days. It was Tuesday before the match after I'd already gotten rid of my spot, went to my doctor and got clearance to shoot. So I just kind of hopped on and, and uh, Zach and Jimmy had a spot to shoot the uh, steel safari down in Logan, New Mexico. So I went and shot that and was able to get third place down there, which I was my best uh, individual finish I've had at a steel safari. Nice. Congrats. So I was really happy about that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and again, some really good shooters, man. Uh, Tate Streeter took it again for the third year. Uh, Curtis Winters came in second. Uh, and man, watching those guys shoot is just absolutely amazing. So I was able to pick up a lot of stuff from them as well. Um, this next weekend, I've got uh, the Competition Dynamics uh, Team Challenge coming up. I'll uh, be shooting that with Colin Fawson from uh, Team XLR. 
So nice. he's going to be out there with me this weekend. And then the following weekend uh, down in Raton, we've got the Night Force uh, two-gun match. So that's a uh, carbine and precision rifle match. So you shoot both guns in both in one stage. So you'll start off with an AR or your bolt gun, you'll abandon it, and you'll go grab the other gun and shoot the other stages in that. And that's this will be the second year I've shot that, so that'll be a lot of fun. Very cool. Um, besides that, I'm definitely trying to pick up a couple more NRL matches. I'm looking at uh, possibly, and I, man, I haven't even had time to look at my schedule with everything else going on with my arm and everything, but trying to get up and shoot the high country match. I'd like to get out to uh, the uh, high country precision match they're doing in, was it Illinois, Indiana? Uh, yeah, in Indiana at uh, October. Indiana. Yeah, I'd like to be uh, get out and make that. That sounds like a phenomenal match. I've talked to some of the match directors about that, and it seems like they're going to be putting on a, 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 a great experience out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting out and that. And possibly, if it's not sold out before I can swing it, I might uh, try and get out and hit that Kansas uh, positional match at uh, Derek Love's place. That's going to be a lot of fun as well. He's uh, We've been talking about it a little bit, and it, it, it's I'm not going to say anything, but it's going to be a lot of fun for whoever attends. <laughs> that sounds like it, man. It, 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 it said it's a positional shootout or something like that, and that's kind of my style. I'm, I come from some kind of a three-gun defensive-type background, and uh, so anytime I can stay inside that 1,000 yards, shoot a lot of position, a lot of movement, I'm, I'm game, man. I, I love that kind of shooting. Nice. Nice. Well, I wanted to say thank you. It's been a while since you and I have talked about getting on the show, and we, you know, we've been on here for a little while today. I don't want to take up your your time, as this was kind of impromptu, uh, quick session here. But I really enjoy uh, you being on the show, and I hope to have you on the show again in the future. And uh, hopefully, if you're able to make it out to the High Country Colorado match, you know, in about a month, hopefully I'll see you there. If not, I'm sure I'll see you at one of the other matches. Absolutely. If I don't shoot it, I'll definitely be ROing it. So one way or another, I'll be up there. So thanks. Awesome. For, I really appreciate you having me on here, Travis. And it was great talking to you. If there's anything you ever need, you know where you know how to get a hold of me, man. Likewise, brother. I appreciate it. All right, bud. You have a good one. You too. Talk Take care. You